Blog Talk Radio. Are you tired of being sheep? Well, so is he. Get a friend, get informed, and get involved. It's We Are Not Cattle Radio. That's right, everyone. Welcome to We Are Not Cattle Radio. It is April the 28th, 2013. I'm your host, Jake Counts, coming to you live here from Atlanta, Georgia. And the sun is going to rise. And the reason I changed the intro music is because I um I had some really interesting things happen to me this weekend. I got to meet a, got to meet a lot of liberty-minded people, which is always good. But... Um, had my mind open to a, a different perspective. It was kind of a perspective that I had already, but to see it in action was um, was something else. So um, just give you a little recap over what happened to me this weekend. I started out on Saturday. Um, I went over to uh, went over to Athens, which is about an hour car ride from my house. And attended the uh, the first annual um, Athens Clark County uh, Tea Party rally. That was fun. Got to hear uh, Robbie Carwell speak, Hart Sawyer, a couple of other um, T-Mont was there. So a bunch of good um, liberty-minded people. And it's always fun to be around those people because when you have conversations with people that uh, with people that love liberty, they're very they're very enthusiastic and they're and they're very in depth. It's not like when you have conversations with people on the street and it's about the um for people that like live in Atlanta it's not about the hawks or who the falcons drafted or something like that it's about real real world issues so it turns out that there was a um a GOP meeting here in um in my district and so that was happening at um, six o'clock. I knew nothing about it just because I didn't I didn't check the local sites and wasn't really thinking. So I ended up going over there, and um, and it was if you guys want to talk about the old guard versus the new guard, it was it was absolutely amazing. You have three older white gentlemen. Just the epitome of Republicans, not to say that that's bad or anything, because they, they all seem to have decent rhetoric about how uh, conservative they were. But there was a there was another guy there, and this guy couldn't have been any older than I am. And he was just rocking, answering the right questions. Talking with um, with passion and, and really explaining how we're going to move against um, against people that want collectivization. And uh, everybody knows that, or if you've listened to the show before, I'm not a big, really big fan of labels. I still don't like to label myself. And um, but what I did see, which was really exciting, was. Real liberty-minded people infiltrating, and infiltrate's a bad word because we're actually just, people like that are actually just going in and, and, and holding people accountable to to the principles that the Republican Party stood for. So, you know, I consider myself, you know, libertarian slash volunteerist slash anarchist. It, it, it can go a lot of different ways, and I guess it really depends on for me, it depends on the the topic of conversation. So I don't really have a label. I, I am and my and my view. The more I learn and the more I gather knowledge and the more people I talk to, yeah, your view will change a little bit because maybe you'll hear something that you thought was, you know, like wow, that's that's a really good idea. Or somebody talks about um, an author that they read and you go, you know, read and research them and you're like, well, that makes a lot of sense in this particular scenario. So. But what it really came down to is that I want to offer an apology to the Republican Party, especially those that are um, young Republicans. And I'm not talking about like the Alex Keatons of the world. These are real liberty-minded people 
that have figured out what I figured out, but they just deployed my strategy sooner than I did. And for that, I was really ashamed of myself. I was ashamed of myself because I didn't look at the big picture and find a way to change it. Because I thought that my way to change things was going to be activism. And it still is. I mean, going out and waking people up and, and getting people to, to understand what's going on all around them and, and to turn off the television and to, and to really hone in on we're – in we're in a really, really bad spot here, everyone. And it's not just because, you know, we had um, we had a terrorist attack in Boston. It's not anything like that. It's we're we're up against we're up against a bunch of shysters on a global scale, and it's terrifying. If you're really paying attention, it is absolutely terrifying. You have a small group of people that are infinitely wealthy that are controlling the planet. And I know you've heard me say this over and over and over again, but now it's starting to become more and more mainstream. There's a there's a long article. It's four pages long from um, – oh, gosh. I'm going to have to pull it up now. Uh, Rolling Stone magazine. It's going to – I think it's going to – the issue is going to drop like May 9th or whatever. But this article was was released, and it goes through the LIBOR scandal. It goes through everything. And I'm going to read excerpts from the article here on the show. But I wanted to get everybody on the same page. Here's the one thing that I did see from the old guard last night from the Republican Party. It was it was a lot of Barack Obamas and it was a lot of the Democrats and they and, and, and those things. Once again... If we could just unite under the Bill of Rights Constitution and just start there, reinstitute that, start there, and then work off of that. If we find things that don't need that we don't need, then then work off the Constitution. But let's not start, you know, this whole new. I I, I didn't even read the full article, but I did read the headline that Bloomberg said that Mayor Bloomberg, you know, Captain Authoritarian up in up in New York says that we need to start interpreting the Constitution differently. You know, you people with your revisionist history and, and your different, you know, I guess your your different kaleidoscope that you want to look through to see the Constitution of the United States with, like, omitting the Federalist Papers and, and, and the Founding Fathers' writings, you know, I guess whatever makes you feel happy. But... At the end of the day, Mayor Bloomberg, you are going to lose out. And I do want to offer another apology. This um, this gentleman that we we all went out after after the uh, the GOP thing last uh, last night. We all went out and had dinner at this Mexican restaurant, and we were sharing some cocktails. And this and this guy asked me if I was um, if I believed in you know in in Bertrand Russell's philosophy, and I said no. Because for some reason, and it was probably because I already had two margaritas, but for some reason I thought he was talking about Edward Bernays, and I'm like, oh, no, 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 we don't need to do that. But Bertrand Russell, absolutely. So I do offer an apology. So Eric, if you do get to listen to this show, yeah, I, I slipped up last night, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blame it on the cocktail, man. But that's, um, I mean, that's life. And all you have to do is just own up to the fact that you... You made mistakes, and so here it is. So now that my apology to the GOP is out of the way and my apology to the guy that I had a 15-minute long debate with last night that I'm going to try to get him on the show um, as soon as some some stuff in his personal life gets um, squared away. But um, fascinating conversation, just fascinating talking to different – Perspectives, different, you know, liberty-minded people. Everybody with a different perspective. Everybody coming at it from a different angle, and it was just a hodgepodge of of great ideas and about how how, how we restore liberty, how we, how we get people on on the side of liberty, how you get people motivated about liberty. Well, you know what motivates me? I always hated cheaters. Ever since I was a little kid, and I'm not meaning to call him out, but my brother used to cheat at Monopoly and stuff like that, and he thought it was fun, but 
I was always the one that got really, really upset with anybody that would cheat. So I'm finding that when I get older, that is actually not a detriment. It's actually a, a virtue. And for me, looking at the overwhelming criminal activity that we have going on in Washington, D.C. and all around the world, that's what gets me motivated. Now, somewhere deep down inside, you're going to have to find your motivation to go fight all these criminals because they are criminals. And once I read some of these articles to you tonight, there's not going to be any doubt in your mind that they're criminals. I, I used to listen to Alex Jones, and he would be talking about, oh, these guys are criminals and blah, 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 and Alex can sensationalize a little bit. But for the most part, he's pretty on point with some of the things that he talks about. And and I just I found myself last night sitting in my office with the lights out, just staring at the ceiling. Because after all the things that I read this weekend and everything that had come to pass, I realized how much trouble we're in. And and it's a multitude of reasons. Number one, yeah, we talk about the Federal Reserve and stuff like that a lot because that is part of the problem. You know, obviously they they control the 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 credit of this nation and, and the flow of currency in this nation, and and that's a real issue. And why is that a real issue? Because of the Rolling Stone piece that I'm going to read you excerpts of here. And it's a lot of excerpts. The the entire thing, the entire article is um is four pages long. If you if you go on to um if you follow me on Twitter, we are not cattle the number one. If you go to my website, I'm gonna post all of these links and hyperlinks there. So just make it really simple for you to go and just you know, click on click on the link. It'll take you right to the article. You can read it for yourself. But I am going to read a bunch of excerpts from this thing because it is very, very powerful. And then I have a clip piggybacking on top of that. Actually, I'm going to play the clip first because the clip is really going to set it up. It's going to set up what this really sign, what it really signifies, and what we're facing. And it's not pretty, guys. It is not pretty. And I know that you guys have heard about the LIBOR, and I've done it. I did a show on it, and I talked about it. But it's really gotta hit you, and you gotta get this, because once I cover the LIBOR, I'm gonna go to the actual article, and then after that, I'm going to go to a clip that freaked me out. And not many clips freak me out, but this one did, and it's very long. And it's fair use, everybody, so FCC, you can, you know, it's because I'm going to do commentary behind it and everything like that, so go ahead. But um, this is information that needs to get out. Share this podcast with people that you know, people that you like, or if you want to call in and have a conversation with me and you think that my view is kind of skewed in some different way, then give me your take. I want to hear from you. I want to have the conversation. We need to start having conversations with one another. It can't be Republican, Democrat anymore. It can't be libertarian, volunteerist, anarchist, you know, what have you, statist. It, it, it can't. Statism has to die. It has to. But that's going to go – that's way down the road. Right now we got to fix this problem right now. Because you cannot get a bunch of brainwashed masses to go on and say, hey, we're just going to go ahead and, and start eliminating government. They'll all freak out. They'll all lose their mind. They don't understand that if you privatize the majority of things here, if you take you know government waste out of it, government waste is at like 30%. So, I mean, come on. We're just scratching the surface here, but we got to start somewhere. And I, for one, don't want to end up like communist China or North Korea or or like Russia with some kind of fascist, you know, economy where it's, you know, a bunch of big corporations and the government colluding together, which we already have, but even, you know, even more so. So here's the LIBOR rate clip. This is a uh, Paul Craig Roberts. Uh it's an interview that he did and he goes into the LIBOR rate fixing, what it is, what it affects, and then I'm going to read the excerpts from the article. And then we're going to dive into this thing real quick 
Because we have to understand this, people. You have to. They are messing with your money. And I don't mean just like taking a penny or two here or, here or there. They're running the show. And I don't like people messing with my money. I worked hard for that money. You know, everybody works hard for their money. And then they figure that once work is done that they can just go home and put their feet up or go grab some McDonald's and kick back and watch you know, Wheel of Fortune and then The Voice and, and then drink, drink your six-pack and go to bed and wake up the next morning and everything's going to be there. When you guys hear what this guy says from Sky News, you're going to lose it, especially people that are liberty-minded people. They're going to be like, oh my gosh, because you can draw some really good parallels. So here's the Paul Craig Roberts clip. Sorry for the big hype, but um, this is very important, everybody. Hope you like listening to the show. Give me a call if you want to talk about any of the articles or any of the commentary that I bring up. 602-753-1916. It's your boy, the Liberty Champ here, live in Atlanta, Georgia. I know, I'm very small, but I call myself the champ. So here it is. When when you fix the... uh overnight borrowing rate, the London overnight borrowing rate low, uh, what you're doing is affecting the prices of all debt instruments that have floating rates because most of those floating rate instruments are based off LIBOR. And as you know, Greg, the uh, price of a debt instrument moves in the opposite direction uh, from the interest rate. So a low interest rate means a high price of the debt instrument, whereas a high interest rate means a low price of the debt instrument. And so the real import of the of the lower LIBOR rate was to boost the values of the debt instruments on the bank's books that have floating rates like collateral debt obligations. Mortgage-backed securities. Or, or any asset back material, uh, security, security, <laughs> any asset back uh, instrument. So, uh, what the uh, what this scandal does is it it, it uh, makes the banks look more solvent than they are. But it's only one small part of the overall rigging. Because the Federal Reserve and the Bank of England have known about this for years. I mean, the Federal Reserve uh, has known about it since 2008. Of course, they, why would they want to do something about it? Because their policy is low interest rates. And that's also the policy of the Bank of England, because the low interest rates are necessary to keep these massive banks that they let get too big. They're too big to fail because the consequences are enormous. So it's the policy of the Federal Reserve and the Bank of England to have low interest rates. So why would they object to something that helps the interest rates be low? They don't. So obviously, so no, they didn't try to do anything about it uh, because they're doing the same thing themselves. That's what the Fed is doing, fixing the rates low. <clears throat> and what when the, when the banks do this, it simply helps that process along. Okay, so now I'm going to read from the article, and hopefully this will make a little bit more sense. And this is, once again, these are, this is not verbatim. These are um, sections of it. So, once again, the article will be posted on the website, wearenotcattle.net. Be sure to check out the YouTube channel, We Are Not Cattle TV, on YouTube. And, once again, follow me on Twitter, We Are Not Cattle, the number one. Just to let you guys know, Twitter to me is my my newest fascination. I know I'm late to the game, but man, if you get some really good journalists out there, you can get some really hardcore information really quick. Like I heard about the um, the Saudi national stuff um, Saturday morning before Glenn Beck came out with his big breaking news. So anyway, so here's the article. You may have heard of the LIBOR scandal and in which at least three, perhaps as many as 16, of the named too-big-to-fail banks have been manipulating global interest rates in the process, messing around with prices of upwards of $500 trillion, with a T, dollars worth of financial instruments. 
When that sprawling con burst into the public view, it was easily the biggest financial scandal in history. MIT professor Alan Liu even said that it dwarfs by orders of magnitude any financial scam in the history of markets. Kind of a big deal. This this makes John Corzine rating segregated accounts, individual accounts, look like child's play. But once again, it's just like Hitler said, you know, make the lie so big that, you know, nobody can believe it. Or Goebbels said that. I'm sorry. So continuing, it's about $379 trillion in the market, which means that with any manipulation would affect the pile of assets about 100 times the size of the United States federal budget. A hundred times the size of our budget. Okay, so here get, this is going to get into the meat of it. Why? Because LIBOR already affects the prices of interest rate swaps, which we heard Paul Craig Roberts talk about, making this a manipulation on manipulation situation. So it's not just one portion, it's another. Uh, continuing in the article. If the allegations proved to be right, this would mean that the customers would have been swapped paying two different of or two different layers of price fixing corruption. If you could imagine paying twenty bucks for a crappy PB and J because the evil um the evil um argue <laughs> the evil evil cabal of Argus business companies colluded to to fix the prices of both peanuts and peanut butter. When you come to the slow grasp of the luxury of the lunacy of the financial markets, where both interest rates and interest rate swamps are being manipulated at the same time, and often by the same banks. It's a double conspiracy, says the amazed Michael Greenberg, the former director of trading and markets for the divisions of the Commodities Future Trading Commission, and, the, and now a professor at the University of Maryland. He said it is the height of criminality, in quotes. Remember, everything's fine, guys. Go back to sleep. We'll be fine. Euro's fine. Everything's fine. But the biggest shock came out of the federal courtroom at the end of March. Though if you followed it, follow these matters closely, it may not have been shocking at all. When the landmark class action lawsuit against the banks for their LIBOR-related offenses was dismissed. Oh... Imagine that. The bankers didn't get in trouble. I mean, God, how do I, I don't know how much I got to pay for a suit that one of these guys wears or, or what. I mean, man, these guys are hardcore criminals. Continuing, in that case, a federal judge accepted the banker defendant's incredible argument that if cities and towns and other investors lost money because of the LIBOR manipulation, it was their own fault forever thinking the banks were competing in the first place. And that's what they go on to say in the article that, hey, we're not trying to compete to set interest rates. We never told you we were doing that. Okay, so how does this all work? Uh, skipping ahead. Every morning, 18 of the world's largest banks submit their data at the office of London about how they believe that they should pay and borrow from other banks. The 18 banks together are called the LIBOR panel, which is what Paul Craig Roberts talked about. And when all the data from all these 18 panelist banks are collected, the numbers are averaged out. What emerges every morning at 11.30 London time are daily LIBOR figures. Yet despite many instances, this is skipping ahead as well. Yet despite many instances of the of at least attempted manipulation, the banks most like were likely skated. Barclays got off with a relatively minor fine of four hundred and fifty million dollars. U.S. UBS was struck with a one point five billion dollars in penalties, and RBS was forced to give up six hundred and fifteen million dollars. Apart from the the fellow low flunkies overseas, no individual involved in the scam that impacted nearly everyone in the industrialized world was ever even threatened with criminal prosecution. Yeah, because they do it under the cover of corporations so you can't attack the individual. It's so it's so ridiculous. It's exactly what you know, it's exactly what we do by by hiring the little Merck groups to go out and, and offer loans to these countries. It's plausible deniability. It's that one extra step of um so one extra step of separation where you can't really go after these people although we should so wake up everyone let's 
go get these guys. Just do what they did in Ireland. Go arrest the bankers. It's not really that difficult. It's now evident that there is a ubiquitous culture among banks to collude and cheat their customers. Like, this is something new. Come on. All right, I'm going to read the quote again. Like, this is something new. This is something – I mean, come on. Jesus turned over the table of the money changers. This is not something new. Same thing over and over and over again. Humans do the same thing. It's it's ridiculous. So here's the quote. It is now evident that there are that there is an ambiguous culture among banks among the banks that collude and cheat their customers as many times as they can and as many forms as they can conceive. And he says, and that's not just surmising. This is based on what they've actually been caught doing, said Michael Huffman, the lead lawyer for the plaintiffs in the LIBOR suit. So what does this all mean? It means that not only are they going to sit there and manipulate interest rates, meanwhile calling for austerity over in Europe. People are impoverished. People are, you know, it's like 30% unemployment, I think I heard over in um, in Spain now. So I'm sure that those guys would have liked a little help. But once again, these guys are too busy worried about making money to even think about the human experience and what they're doing on the impact. All they can see is their bottom line, and, and they're just money junkies. I mean, that's the conclusion that I've come up with, because they do. They act like they act like addicts with this stuff. It's like, oh, I don't care how many millions or billions I, I, I steal, I still need more. That that's That's a junkie, man. These people are money junkies, and we got to get these guys under control. Otherwise, it's it's going to be so bad. Oh, it'll be so bad. So, anyway, now we're going to transition to the thing that really scared me. And this is a six-minute clip, so brace yourself. But this is Lord James Blackhead, Blackheath, excuse me. He's evidently somebody of very prominent stature over in Europe, pretty well connected. And this is on Sky News. It'd be like if he was on NBC. And he talks about how they have a private group of investors that is not sovereign. It's not a nation, but they've got a tremendous amount of wealth, and they've been around for about 100 years. Gee, I wonder what's been around for about 100 years that their charter just is coming up. And it's a privately held bank, and they pay 6% dividends every year to their investors, but nobody knows who the owners are. I, I can't even imagine who these guys could be. So here's the clip, and then on the backside, I've got a bunch of other news. Lindsey Graham once again flexing his uh, fear-mongering of Muslims. Somebody just – what we need to do is just throw Lindsey Graham in a room with like 20 women with burqas, and I think that he'll just – I think that he'll just have a heart attack. He he will just fall over and die. And, I mean, it, you, Lindsey, you're getting ridiculous. Anyway, so here's the the Lord James Black Blackheath clip. It's really hard for me to say for some reason. And so enjoy this, and then hopefully on the end you'll figure out why I freaked out. My wife and I were in London on the night before the Trooping of the Colour, and we had friends for dinner, and we went to the restaurant and met them for dinner. In the course of dinner, with our guest, who is the chairman of a very prominent and highly successful and reputable British FSA-controlled financial institution, he asked me if I could help him in getting identification of the validity of people who had bought to him a huge transaction for a corporate reconstruction. And could I help him by validating people? Because he knew that I had connections from the past where I could get onto various intelligence agencies and establish uh, the validity of people. That's how it started. And what is it that they're offering? They're representing themselves as a massive supranational accumulation of funds which are not sovereign national foreign funds, but are the proceeds of a massive amount of commercial activity which have accumulated over probably most of a hundred years. And they want to, they are concerned that they have all this wealth in a world which is beginning to lose its track on its own economic progress and stability, and they want to put their assets to work to help save the world. So they think that by helping plug the UK debt, they'll 
boost their own wealth? They're quite directly saying, no, no, they're not. They're saying that they will protect the wealth of the world so that they will continue to survive with their wealth in it. But they are saying quite particularly that they want the United Kingdom to take a leading initiative in this because they see us as being the logical point from which they can deploy a lot of their support into the European sector, which they think is in dire need of help and support at this time. And you believe that this is a genuine offer, not a hoax? I've been working on this now with them for 21 weeks. They have not put a foot wrong in 21 weeks. They have never contradicted themselves or, or said anything which would uh, give a lie to anything that they have said. And therefore, from that point of view, I am progressively comfortable with the genuineness of their approach. They have gone out of their way to ask me to introduce them to government officials within the coalition with whom they can talk to open this up. And there has been a natural high level of scepticism because it's rather like finding after all these years the good gracious you find on Christmas Eve that Father Christmas really does exist and he's just popped down your chimney and it, it is a bit of a surprise. So the government officials have voiced a lot of scepticism and the people I'm dealing with from X have been forthcoming with a list of ref referees who they've quoted who are amongst the most powerful and the most uh, high-profile people on the whole world stage, and they've invited the British government to pick up a phone to these people to validate their existence, provided that the British government do so at the highest level of security, they will then talk to people at the highest level of security on the world stage who will validate them. This has so far, I understand, not happened at that level, because the government in this country decided that I must be a maverick old peer who'd lost his marbles and that they couldn't really trust this at all and therefore they should look to see more rationally if it was feasible. And they came up with two major objections to the proposal which was being put forward and said this means it couldn't be true. And I've looked very carefully at those two objections and I think that the government has misunderstood completely and has come up to the wrong conclusions and I've said that in my speech on Monday night. And what made you speak on Monday publicly? I have so far not succeeded in getting it proven because the British government officials have not yet taken it up. This was a debate about the impact of the strategic spending review and what it was going to have as an impact on society and down to levels of uh, deprivation and concern which were being voiced very strongly by the socialist opposition on the benches opposite. And I therefore spoke about it on Monday because it seemed to me that the opposition benches were overreacting and that probably nothing was going to be quite as bad as they were saying it would be, but it could be a great deal better if we could really get GDP back into growth, which clearly what is being offered by X will have a massive impact on our GDP, in which case we could probably generate a far faster recovery to overcome a lot of the deprivation problems long before they occurred according to the script that the socialist opposition were, were pushing to us. And if this did go ahead, what would it look like? What would it mean for Britain? It would mean a massive improvement in the job market because so much of what they're doing is aimed at creating infrastructure which is headcount intensive. For example, the things that they're proposing at the present moment, uh, since Monday they have said to me that if the government will now give an answer to them now as to whether they will support this, and by now I think they mean in the course of the next week, then X will put up by, and have in our bank by Christmas Day the entire £17 billion we need to build Crossrail now and bring it forward from the 10-year distant date it is and think how many jobs that will create and the impact that will have on the vitality of, of London and everything else that will go with it. That creates GDP, which is wealth, and that brings money into the equation. But they're also quite specifically saying, look, you can't afford to hang back on your renewable energy policy. So if you have a preferred policy at this moment, to do the underground gasification of coal and the conversion of your power stations to use underground gasification coal, uh, coal. We will pay for that as well. But your spending review has also taken out all the hospitals and the schools that you needed to build, and we'll build those for you as well. Here comes and would the this money come with strings attached? It comes interest-free, and it comes with no requirement to guarantee the value when it is paid back and it comes with no repayment schedule, so it can be with us for as long as we need it. So did anybody hear him answer the question, are there any strings attached? He completely skirts it by saying, well, it's a 0% interest, you don't have to pay it back right away, and we can kind of work with you on the time period. Not an answer to the direct question, 
kind of hopscotching around it. So the two key takeaways from that conversation with that journalist, number one, I just mentioned, and number two, I don't know if you heard it, it was very, it, it, it was very subtle, but yet very impactful. He said, it's like, it's like finding out, coming down the coming down the stairs one morning and finding out that Father Christmas really does exist. And he's talking about the New World Order. He's talking about the, the private banking cartel consortium that uses their leverage of creating infinite fiat wealth and then taking over countries and playing countries off against each other in the big game of the grand chessboard. So that was really, really creepy. Who knows if, if, dude, if the British go for this, you guys are the biggest suckers in the world because that just sounds like it's setting up for disaster. It didn't sound like that they were going to be playing sweetie cakes, and I'm pretty sure that these guys that are worth trillions and trillions of dollars didn't get there by being Mr. Nice Guy. They got there by being ruthless. So I wouldn't trust those guys, and you know, bravo for the for the British government or whomever is in conversations with these people for being skeptical. I would I would get up and walk away from the table. But then again, that's me. So best of luck to you guys out there. Transitioning, let's talk about your loving government. That's right. Introduced by the sheeple up in Boston. This next article comes from us in this is from the it's from New York Now, and it says how Congress quietly overhauled its Insider Trading Act. And we spent most of the day yesterday um, talking about this and how big of a deal it was, and how it just kind of eased right under the uh, the radar. Um, yeah. So I'm going to read you the whole article. It's very short. And it starts out, and this is by uh, Tamara Keith. So great job by Tim, or I guess Tamara, whatever. The legislative process on Capitol Hill is often slow and grinding. There are committee hearings, filibuster threats, and hours on the debate floor. Sometimes, but sometimes, when Congress really wants to get something done, they can move blindly fast. And this is what happened with Congress moved into large parts of a of a popular law known as the Stock Act last week. A year ago, President Obama signed the Stop Trading of Congress Knowledge Act into law with a, with a celebrity ceremony attending a by, by a bipartisan cast of lawmakers. He said, I want to thank all the members of Congress who came together to work to get this done. The law wasn't wouldn't j just outlaw trading on non-public information by members of Congress, the executive branch and their staffers, it would greatly expand the disclosures and make all of the data searchable so insider trading and conflicts of interest would be easier to detect. Continuing. But on Monday... When the president signed the bill reversing big pieces of the law, the email went out with just one sentence long. There was no framework last week either, and when the Senate and the House passed the bill, it was in largely empty chambers using the fast-track procedure known as unanimous consent. They love you. In the House, majority, majority Leader Eric Cantor, a uh, representative Republican from Vir Virginia, shepherded the bill through. It was Friday afternoon at 12.52. Many members had already left for the weekend and were on their way out. And the whole process took 30 seconds and there was no debate. Man, this sounds like a good deal for the taxpayers. There weren't too many members – this is a quote – there weren't too many members of Congress who were aware of this legislation, says Craig Holdman, a government affairs lobbyist for the public, for public citizen. 
And I suspect very, very few understood what the sweeping radical change is to the Stock Act. No, they knew, dude. Come on, man. Don't play dumb. So here are the changes. And this is under the headline, base Records in the Basement. Yeah, not lying to you guys. Records in the effing basement. To understand how the how the new law changed, I asked Holman to meet me in the basement of the Cannon House office building. He explains, this is where the public records are kept, and for those who handle traveling to and those who can handle traveling to Washington D.C. That's right. If you want to look up the financial disclosure forms filed in the high-level congressional staffers, say to find out whether they've been using privileges of their positions to make well-timed stock trades, you would have to come to the office in Washington, D.C. Holman showed me how it works. This is where it gets super fun. You have to enter your name and address into the computer, and then you can search. Oh, that's not shady at all. But you have to know the name of the person that you're searching for. If he or she has filed a financial disclosure form, it will come up as a PDF, which you can print at the cost of 10 cents per page. And I'm sure that these financial disclosure forms are very, very short. The database itself is almost meaningless, Holman says. He says the only... He says the only opinion for those who want to get a comprehensive look at the at what <laughs> some twenty nine hundred staffers have filed is to review the case one by one, and that's too big a job for anyone to do. He says the Stock Act was supposed to make this significant task easier. Records for members of Congress, the executive branch, and their staffers were supposed to be posted on the internet and online in a searchable, sortable, downloadable format. Hmm. Everything's fine. If you want to see the traded health care stock, you just have – just just before a committee acted on the health care bill, it would be easy. No trips to the basement required. But there were concerns, especially among the 2,800 executive branch staff who would require to post their financial disclosures online. Oh, that's too bad. So your little government job, you got to post all your stuff online that we're actually paying for? Wow, how criminal are we that we actually ask you to post the stuff that we're paying you for? God, we're just so nuts. So, going too far is the next headline. There were particular, and this is a quote, there were particular concerns about risk for those who either travel overseas on government business or work overseas. Carol Bassano says, president of the Senior Executive Association, who represents many of the legislative or executive branch employees. An independent study said that there were almost that there were also risk in of identity theft, which she says the new law helps avoid. Okay. What has been eliminated now is the ability of people to go fishing, if you will. Yeah, you mean for the slaves to actually know what's going on in in Washington. The House cited an independent report, and which means that they funded it. The, oh, excuse me. The White House cited an the independent report and explaining why the president signed the bill. And the spokesman for Cantor, not even Cantor himself, the spokesman for Cantor said the White House and the Senate were simply following recommendations of the study. This stinks so bad. But Lisa Rosenberg, a lobbyist for Sunlight Foundation, which advocated for the Stock Act, says Congress went too far. It's really shocking that they used basically the situation of question about whether some language in the bill was overbroad to just gut the bill, to gut the transparency measures to apply them to themselves. How is that shocking to you? What 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 planet are you on? We got to pass the bill before we can see what is in it. And this shocks you. We got to pass 300 pages of legislation that have 6,000 pages worth of um 
different you know steps and measures you got to go through called Obamacare. I mean, come on. How does this shock you guys? And then it continues. Still two major elements of the law remain. Oh yeah. Oh, so now we're going to get the, you know, the the shit sandwich here. Insider trading is illegal. <laughs> Even for members of Congress and the executive branch, even though we'll never be able to prove it, so who gives a flip? And for those who are covered by near narrow laws, disclosing large sock trades which were which are required within forty five days, it will be just harder to get them. It'll be just harder to get them, she says. Oh, okay. So that's it. Yeah. Everything's fine, everybody. Everything's fine. We got the bag. Yeah, we got the terrorist, even though he was handled by the CIA, and that's public knowledge now, and everything's fine. So, and as my weekend got a little bit weirder, I woke up this morning and started surfing through the news, and I found that hell is actually frozen over, and Bill Maher actually either grew a spine or had some some kind of conscious... Cognitive awakening? I don't. I don't know what this is. I don't. I think this is like. I, I tried to make sure it wasn't from like the Onion or something, but this is really true. And then I'm going to get into some more loving government, and then we're going to have to end the show. I'm going to end with Lindsey Graham because he's just so awesome. Okay, so this is a Politico article. So take it for you know what it's worth. It's coming from Politico. Uh, Bill Maher slams the Boston Police Department. Bill Maher called Boston police officers unprofessional on Friday for shooting at a boat where the Boston Marathon bombing suspect was hiding, even though it turned out that he was unarmed. Ann Coulter said we should have shot the dude. I mean, it was – oh, I should have gotten that clip. I mean, that would have gotten me so fired up I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have been able to sleep tonight. But when I watched it, I was about to throw up on myself. So anyway, he says, I agree that we shouldn't have given the kid his Miranda rights because he probably had information. And we wanted to keep take him alive. We all agree that there should be even that he could have even had bombs out there, and there could have been an accomplice. So we wanted to take him alive. If you agree with that, then the cops did, what the cops did there was unprofessional. No, they were told to shoot that guy, dude. He's a patsy. That's what happens. You set him up, you knock him down. Nobody talks. Game over. You know, nine eleven. Everything's fine. Magic passports. You you name it. And so it goes on. Can you know? Continuing in the article, according to the reports, no gun was found inside the boat when he was captured. And although the Boston police commissioner had earlier said that cops had exchanged fire with the suspect, no, they probably exchanged fire. You know, shooting bullets up in the air, and then oh, he's shooting at us. We got to shoot him. And then Morrow said that America is becoming a police state. That's a quote. Oh, my God. Like, seriously, Satan, you might want to get an overcoat. It's going to start snowing down there very, very soon. I wanted to talk about the police. I'm a supporter of. He says, this is Bill Martin's quote. I want to talk about the police. Whom I am a supporter of. Look at this. I mean, if this is the way you have it, why don't you just invade a country? Oh, dude, trust me, we're doing plenty of that. Don't need to worry about that. I mean, go up to Canada. Take their oil. This country is becoming a police state, and it's very troubling to me. Hey, welcome to the party, jerk. Welcome to the party. You know, and and, and people getting pulled out of their house at gunpoint with people in black uniforms, that's... That's freedom. I mean, and then then we get this at the very end. You get this. USA! 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 Butcher, actually bend over my Fourth Amendment in front of me and then lift the band. Say, everything's fine. You know, everybody can come out of their houses now. See, this is what makes me think, and this is probably, you know, conspiracy craziness. You know, I do have some kind of conspiracy bug in my head every once in a while, and I'm thinking that maybe we don't get the whole truth from the government and the mainstream media. But maybe, just maybe, maybe the entire reason for the bombing was so that they could stage a martial law exercise to condition the people for future economic collapse or 
they just want to show off their new stuff. I mean, DHS got all those new tanks and, you know, Bradley fighting vehicles and stuff like that. You got to show those off. And you got plenty of bullets now, so don't, you know, you got two billion bullets. You got plenty of those. You know, that's probably why they went through the firefight. Dude, we got hollow points coming out the ass. Just start blasting this thing. I mean, we got 2.2 billion of them. Just start wrecking it. Oh, they don't have all 2.2 billion. Excuse me. I don't want to fear monger everybody. They've got 2.2 billion on order. But that's just because they want to, um, you know, they want to keep the price down. Because that's what really government is there to do is just to keep the – they're trying to, you know, spend the money wisely. That's what they do. So – but if you follow my bouncing ball of logic, and it might be logical, it might be illogical, but let's have some fun. The bombing happens. The suspects are on the run. Nobody knows who the suspect is. We've never seen these people before. Oh, wait. The CIA has been talking to this guy for a long time to the older brother, and and the Russian government warned us about them. And Yeah, but we don't – I've never seen this guy before. Never. Okay, so all this goes on. First, Patsy gets killed, says he gets blown up with a bomb. That's fine. Don't really care. The, 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 guys, get past the whole event. The event is not what the real big issue is. So they go into quote-unquote lockdown, which I explained last week is you know the prison term for everybody. Once you get in your jail cells, you, you go under lockdown. So they make everybody go back inside. They shut all the businesses down. Nobody's allowed to go anywhere. And the reason that I think that they could do this is so that they knew that people would be in their homes, not out on the street, because you can't roll a martial law exercise out when people are actually out on the street because then people will go, holy shit, this is martial law. Um, so if you do it in a concise manner that makes it look like you're doing something – and listen, I don't have a good explanation for how you go about doing this, but – you know, freaking the heck out of the public over one 19-year-old with, without a gun is is ludicrous. So they go and they stage this – not stage, excuse me. That was a Floridian, Freudian slip. They have this event, and when, listen, government is always going to try to justify its existence. That's what they have to do all the time. They have to justify why you need us. So they go and have the martial law exercise. They're pulling people out of their houses with their hands up. Like I, I, I cannot believe these videos. I'm going to put them all over my site tomorrow. You guys can check out We Are Not Cattle. I'll do a whole Boston bombing section, and I'll do pictures, videos, you name it. I'll, I'll, I'll just scour the internet tomorrow and put it all there for everybody to kind of look through and piece through. But then they have the exercise. Everybody comes out of the house, hands up, and the cops are pushing them around. Everything's fine. And then they release, you know, we're going to, you know, everything's fine. We're going to release the uh, the lockdown. And then they find the guy. So if the goal is really to find the person, why did you remove the curfew and the lockdown? The goal is not to find the guy. The goal is to teach you how to be a good slave and to also condition you for if there is such a time where they want to do door-to-door gun confiscation, that it's something that you've seen before. They want that they want that recall. They want that memory, that just ever, you know, flighting memory that just sits in the back of your head of the images and how everything turned out okay in Boston. You know, everything turned out okay in Boston. So that's what I'm saying. Now, once again, could be crazy conspiracy stuff, but you know, Take it for what it's worth. I mean, I think it's a dis- it's a decent perspective. Okay, so now in closing, I got five minutes left, and I don't think it's going to be enough for this guy because man, does he really he needs all the time. I-, I wish I could do an entire show on you, Lindsey. But here is Lindsey Graham in front of Congress talking about the NDAA, home and abroad. Give our intelligence and military agencies statutory guidance. And authority to do things that need to be clear rather than uncertain. We're 10 years into this war. Congress needs to speak. This is your chance to speak. I am speaking today. Here's what I'm saying to my colleagues on the other side and to the world at large. If you join Al-Qaeda, 
you suffer the consequences of being killed or captured. If you're an American citizen and you betray your country, you're going to be held in military custody and you're going to be questioned about what you know. You're not going to be given a lawyer if our national security interests dictate that you not be given a lawyer and go into the criminal justice system because we're not fighting a crime, we're fighting a war. There's more due process in this bill than any other time in any other war. I am proud of the work product. There are checks and balances in this bill that have been working on for 10 years. The mandatory provisions do not apply to American citizens. They can be waived as they impede an investigation. We're trying to provide tools and clarity that have been missing for 10 years. This is your chance to speak on the central issue 10 years after the war, the, war. the attacks of 9-11. Are we at war? Are we fighting a crime? I believe we're at war, and the due process rights associated with war are in abundance and beyond anything ever known in any other war. What this amendment does. USA! 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 The war on terror. Lindsey Graham, dude, seriously, I'm gonna put you in. I'm gonna put you in a in a padded room with a bunch of with a bunch of women, you know, dressed up as Muslims, and and I think you're gonna have a heart attack. So here is what Mr. Lindsey Graham says, and I don't get to get to all my articles, but I will post them on the web. So, and this comes from the Raw Story, and it says Lindsey Graham appeared on Sunday's CBS Face the Nation, which I try to stomach, and then I make it about five minutes through it, and then I feel like I have morning sickness. And believes that Americans would be safer if the Federal Bureau of Investi Investigation, total criminal agency, the FBI, actually not too bad, and CIA is the real fun guys, would physically confront non-criminals over their web surfing activities. You heard that correct. I will read it again because it's right here in front of me. Senator Lindsey Graham appears on CBS Face the Nation and that he believes that Americans would be safer if the FBI would physically confront non-criminals over their web surfing activities. Especially if that person is on a watch list and, being, and been looking at Islamic sites online. Now you see why I would put this guy in a room with a bunch of people, you know, dressed up in in Arabic clothing. I'm serious, you lose it. Explaining that there are warning signs known in the various law enforcement agencies that would have accused the Boston bombers may have been a threat. Yeah, like the Russian government telling us, hey, dude, what are these guys doing? Quit messing around with these guys. Quit handling these guys. And Graham said that the attack was pulled off because of failure to share information and missing the warning signs. We're going back to the pre-9-11 stove piping. Lindsay, you, you are crazy. I mean, this is just like political humor at this point for me. He added that some of the federal agencies have received tips about going on the internet for the whole world to see – to interact with radical Islamic websites. How did we miss that? Dude, because they let it happen? Like I said last week, I'm like, I don't think that we did it per se, but we probably had prior knowledge and we probably let it happen because it's a big power grab exercise. Woohoo! We get to roll the tanks out and put the guys in black uniforms and show the civilians how they're slaves and they're going to love it. And they're going to sit there and they're going to chant to us once we Okay. So going on, so we're going to have to we're going to have to up our game. He continues, when one of these guys goes into the system and leaves the country, we need to be sure where they're going and and who and and interview them. And when they and when somebody's in a database like this and begins to openly interact with radical Islamic websites, and pretty soon this will be you know radical right wing extremists, you know liberty lovers. That the FBI should knock on his door and say, you told us before that you wanted to be an Olympic boxer and that you love this country. What the hell is going on here? We're watching. Yeah, dude, Lindsey, they, they, they had meetings with this guy. Come on, man. Graham continues in, in comments that 
illustrate that not just astonishing level of monitoring for foreign nationals within the U.S. can be subject to, but also to the type of of policing preferred by the United States Senate, first and foremost advocates of drone bombing and a system of military justice set up by the Bush administration and their preemptive wars on terror and terror war prisons. So you guys can read the rest of this article. Um, I didn't even see this. I would have actually gotten the audio. Um, so that's it for the show, everybody. Tune in on Thursday. I'm going to be on the Liberty Radio Network. They're picking up my show. I will be simulcasting through Blog Talk Radio, so you can still find me here. If you ever want to listen to the archive shows, check out the website, wearenotcattle.net. Once again, follow me on Twitter, wearenotcattle, the number one. We are not cattle, the number one. And also, you can check out the YouTube channel, We Are Not Cattle TV. So, thanks for listening, everybody. I hope that everybody had a nice and safe weekend. And once again, we have all got to step, like Lindsey Graham says, I can't believe I'm about to actually quote Lindsey Graham here. Um, we all got to step our game up in the fight for liberty. We got to beat the tyrants. We got to beat the banksters. We got a lot of work to do. Get out there, inform people, point them towards the show, and let's do this, everybody. Let's take this country back and let's live in peace and prosperity. Thanks for listening, everyone. In your heart.